Good morning. So it is the 27th of May 2017. Five minutes past 11 in the morning and we are in Sofimur in Norway, near Oslo. And the subject is the first epistle of Paul, the Apostle to the Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. Introduction. And I wrote that in his companion Bible, E.W. Bollinger, writes the following. This epistle is the earliest of the writings of Paul. Having been sent out from Corinth about the end of 52 or beginning of 53 AD. And the second Thessalonians was sent pretty quickly after that, also from Corinth. So this is definitely the first epistle of Paul that he ever wrote. And sometimes People ask me, why is it the last one of the church epistles, even though it was written first? The reason is because they are not in a chronological order in the canon of the epistles. The book of Romans comes first because it receives the people where they are at. Then Corinthians and Galatians have a lot of reproof and correction to the believers when they became believers. Then Ephesians, Philippians and Colossians explain out of three different angles what it means that there is Christ in us, that we are in Christ and what did Jesus Christ do to earn all the good things that we now have. He earned them for us. And then Thessalonians is kind of like pedagogically the last one because it just deals doctrinally basically with the coming of Christ and the end times. So there is nothing that can be in that way more elaborated like reproof or correction about it. There are just general exhortations in Thessalonians regarding these things. I have a little paragraph of every chapter here that is just to help you to remember later what is where if you are looking for something. So Elizabeth, could you read this on page 2? Chapter 1 begins with greetings from Paul, Sylvanus and Timothy and continues with thanksgiving because of the work and love in faith of the Thessalonian believers, even though they were in much affliction. At the end of the chapter, Paul explains that Jesus, the Son of God, will deliver us from the wrath to come. In chapter 2, they, Paul, Sylvanus and Timothy, remind the believers that in spite of the afflictions in Philippi, they spoke the gospel of God to the Thessalonians in gentleness and purity. They thank God that the Thessalonians received what they spoke as the word of God, which works in those that believe. In verse 16 it says that the people who forbid them to speak the word of God to the Gentiles must experience the wrath. The chapter ends explaining that at the coming of the Lord Jesus, the Thessalonians will be the crown of their rejoicing. In chapter 3, Paul tells that he sent Timothy to Thessalonica to exhort and comfort them because he could no longer bear not knowing how they were doing. When Timothy came back with good news about their faith, Paul rejoiced. Paul says that he prays exceedingly night and day that he might see them again. The Lord will establish their hearts unblameable in holiness at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, Paul first exhorts the believers to walk pleasing God according to the teaching they have received. 
Then he explains how the believers who have died in Christ will be raised and caught up in the clouds together with those believers who are alive to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we ever be with the Lord. In chapter 5, Paul tells that the day of God's wrath will come like a thief in the night, but it will not surprise the believers. Therefore he exhorts them to watch and be sober spiritually. The chapter ends with exhortations to rejoice, to pray, to give thanks, to walk by the Spirit, and so on, and charging that this epistle is read unto all the believers. Thanks. So, chapter 1. Paul and Silvanus, which is Silas, the same as in Acts 16.19, and Timotheus, under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the word church is ecclesia, the ones called together for a purpose. And now we have here Paul, Silas and Timotheus. Like these three would have been writing the epistle. Paul is the one that wrote it, but because Silas and Timotheus were with him. So they are mentioned here. Verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers. Remembering without ceasing your work, that's the word ergon in Greek, the most regular word standing for work, meaning work in Greek, of faith and labor, the word labor is kopos, hard and tiring work, and love is agape, and patience of hope is elpis, in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. And now you see I have these Greek words written there and then numbers after them. The first number beginning with N, for example, after election is Ekloke, N1433. That stands for the numbering that is in the book that was published at the same time in Norway, in Sweden, in Denmark and in Finland. In Finland it's called the Novum, in Norway it's called the Studiebibeln. And the numbering is what those men chose to use. It's different than the other one. The S stands for Strong's, Strong's numbering, change Strong numbering. The number is then 1589. And that can be found in all the English research books and research programs in the internet. The N stands for Novum. In Finland this book is called Novum. Therefore I have <coughs> the letter N there that you know which number that is when you want to continue to study these things. The word election is ekloge. This is put together from the prefix, which is also a pronoun, ek. From, out of, out from, forth from, or from, according to theirs. And then the second part is the verb lego. To lay with, count with, to enumerate, recount, narrate, describe, according to Thayers. So they have been counted out from some larger group, that's what it means. They have been chosen from among all the other people. And how did that happen? They heard the call, they heard the word, and they responded to it, they believed, and then they were chosen. That's what it means. Verse 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word, that's Logos, which stands for written word as well as spoken word only, but also in power, that's dynamis. The word dynamite comes from that 
it means potential power, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. As you know, that manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers, the word followers mimetes in Greek, an imitator. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. The word affliction in Greek is thlipsis, which means a great pressure in the mind or against the mind or great mental pressure with joy of the Holy Ghost. So affliction is caused by different things. Like uh, here in First Thessalonians, the reason for the affliction was the persecution that they suffered. Paul explains it later a bit more. And then verse 7, so that ye were, actually it means so that ye became examples or examples to all that believe in Macedonia and in Achaia. The word examples is typos. It means the mark of a stroke or a blow or print or a figure formed by a blow or impression according to theirs. So the word typewriter comes from this word. That is what they became, examples to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Verse 8. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God was spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves shew, that means to tell or to, or to report, for they themselves report of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And then there I have what this Apangelo in Greek is. Verse 10, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And now there's a little interesting detail in here. The word raised in this verse is egero in Greek. And now if you go to page 7, in chapter 4, verse 14, it says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So Jesus died and rose again. This is a different word. That's anistemi. So egero means to wake somebody from sleep or wake somebody from death, really. And then anistemi means to get up, to, to stand up. So Jesus did that after God had woken him from the death. Then he rose up. The same word in English, you can't see the difference, but two different words in Greek. So Jesus Christ didn't get up by his own power. God raised him from the dead. But when he was awoken, then he stood up. A little technical thing in there. We continue on page 3. The wrath is orge. We looked at it the day before yesterday. So, Elizabeth, can you find this Matthew 3, 7? But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Yeah, so that was John the Baptist and he saw these 
Pharisees and Sadducees, what is it? Yes. To come to him to be baptized. And he said, no, this won't do any good to you. You're going to go in the rat. <laughs> Chapter 2. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance, our entry in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know, at Philippi. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. So can you read Acts 16 verses 11 to 14? Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman called Lydia, a seller of purple in the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this she did many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains were gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew up his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, and sprang in, and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out, and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized he and all his straightway. And when they had brought them into his house, he set meat before them, and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeants, saying, 
Let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and besought them, and brought them out, and desired them to depart out of the city. And when they went out of the prison, and entered into the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them, and departed. There are a couple of interesting things in this section. In verse 14 it says, Whose heart, Lydia's heart, the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. The Lord opened. So, the research principle of the Bible, number one, is that you go to God. You turn to God, you pray to God, that He will open up the Scripture. And Jesus Christ that's working in your heart will open. That's the Lord that opens the Scripture to you. So, I keep pointing out these Greek words in here with the numbers so that if you are interested in any, you can look them up in the books. And once you look them up and read them in context, then you will understand in the context and you, you, God will show you things about these words and you can understand much more regarding the Bible when you do that. Study the word like that. Not only just read it, to read the Bible through is very important. I suggest that you do it once a year at least. Read the Bible from cover to cover. Keep reading it. So when you come to a section, you're looking for words, then so many times you remember the context already. You don't have to study it again. But if you have not read something, then you just have to read carefully in the context and see what the word means in context. So, but this way the Lord opens our understanding as he did it for Lydia. But then there's another interesting thing. In verse 17, the same followed Paul and us, and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation, is in English. But there is no article in the Greek text at all. So it says, which show unto us way of salvation. Kind of meaning, one way among many others. And finally that probably started to bother Paul and he kicked the spirit out. We were in verse 2 in chapter 2 where he said, <coughs> But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated as you know at Philippi. So we read that. That's the way. He, he was caught because of that. He was beaten up and put in the prison. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. The word contention in Greek is agon or agonia. Means contending, competing or battle. See, we born again believers are in a spiritual battle all the time. Sometimes when young people or young believers, people become believers and God helps them in their life and everything looks very nice and then a few months later there's another obstacle and then people get really disappointed why why does God allow again this to hurt me well this is the way how we live 
we have a spiritual adversary, the devil, the Satan, and he is after us all the time. That's the reason we are in contention. We are, we are in a battle, in a spiritual battle all the time. And the point is that we are supposed to learn to believe. Because when we believe, then God will rescue us. Help us and give us all the things that he has promised. It requires believing. It doesn't come just by itself like that. <coughs> we do need to believe. Verse 3, for our exhortation, that's the word paraklesis. Para means sight and klesis comes from kaleo, to call aside. Calling aside mostly means exhortation and mostly translated also that way. Sometimes translated by comfort. So, for our exhortation was not of deceit. The word deceit is planet, the word planets come from that. Delusion, intentionally somebody is misled, that's delusion. That's this word deceit. Nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. That's another word for deceitfulness. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not pleasing men, but God, which tried our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. So this word used actually would be better understood by performed or appear, appeared or behave, behaved. So for neither at any time we performed or appeared ourselves or behaved by flattering words, as you know nor with cloak of covetousness, which means pretext for greediness. God is witness. Verse 6, Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. It means that they could have required service and upkeeping, but they didn't do that. Verse 7, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse, wet nurse, a nursing mother, cherisheth, tenderly cares for her children. So being affectionately desires of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. The words have imparted in this verse is the Greek word metadidomi, which means to share, to give somebody else from that what you already have. So it doesn't mean that they had the gospel of God and gave it totally away from them. No, they of course kept the gospel of God themselves, but they also gave it to the others, they taught it to the others. And the same about their own souls. They, that doesn't mean that they were about to die for them. It means that they shared their life with these people. They loved the Thessalonians so much that they just opened their hearts to them that's what it talks about. Verse 9, For ye remember, brethren, our labor, again, kopos, hard and tiring work, and travail, that's moktos, hard and difficult labor, toil, travail, drudgery, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable or burden unto any of you, we preach unto you the gospel of God. So in the daytime they worked for the living and upkeeping, and in the evenings and night times they were teaching the word. That's what he's saying. Verse 10, Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably 
we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Yes, as you know, how we exhorted against Barakaleo and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. The word charge is martureo, it means to be a witness, to bear witness, testify. So it could be translated by the word witness. And comforted and witnessed to every one of you as a father doth his children. That verse 12. Ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. So not to be believers only but also walk worthy of God. Walk according to the calling. Like it says in Ephesians verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing because when ye received the word Logos of God which ye heard of us ye received it not as the word of men but as it is in truth the word of God three times the word word in here which effectually worketh that's the word energeo the word energy comes out of it energeo means to give power to give energy also in you that believe same way as in Philippians 2.13 the word energeo so the Word of God has power. You read it, you believe it, and then it energizes your life. Verse 14, For ye brethren became followers, that's the word mimetes, an imitator. You became imitators of the Church of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. Verse 15, Who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men. So, here he explains that the Thessalonians suffered persecution in very similar way as the Judeans in Palestine. Verse 16. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always. For the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. For the wrath, again that's orge, is come upon them to the uttermost. Here the words is come in the Greek are a verb, one verb, and it is in aorist indicative tense, which means already ended action in the past. So we know that the wrath of God is something that happens in the future, has not yet happened, and will not happen now, but in the future. Therefore, it has to be understood here as a figure of speech which emphasizes that it surely will happen in the future. And the words to the uttermost are is telos, to final end, to the final bitter end. So this could be translated like this. For the wrath will surely come upon them in the end. Those ones that forbid them to speak to the Gentiles. The wrath of God will come upon them in the end. Verse 17. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, that means in faith, not in heart, endeavor, that's Pudazzo, they eagerly wanted the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore we would have come unto you, and even I put once and again, but Satan hindered us. This word hindered is ekopto. I have here to cut into the impede one's course by cutting off his way according to the there. So it means to cut a ditch 
or a tram in the way, so you can walk or wait or drive or wait. Verse 19, for what is our hope or joy? The word joy is kara or crown of rejoicing. Kara comes also in verse 20, for ye are our glory and our joy. Kara, similar word to karis, which is the grace of God. However, in verse 19, the second sentence, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. So, the word not he is u or uki. When that word not is used in a rhetorical sentence like this, it uh, requires an affirmative positive answer, which he is yes, you are. The question is, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Yes, ye are our hope and glory and joy. If that would have been me, the word not, it would have required a negative affirmative answer to that rhetorical question. So the reader has to add that answer at the end of the question because of the word not. Uki in there. And then he continues to say in verse 24, Ye are our glory, doxa, and our joy. And that is at his coming. The word coming is parusha. Presence, the coming, arrival, advent, according to Theus. This word was used about the coming of a duke, or a king, or some other highly esteemed person. In the New Testament, this is used primarily of the coming of Jesus Christ, and only regarding his second coming. The first coming when he was born and he was crucified, this word is never used about that. It's about his second coming, when he comes again, first time in the clouds. And then I have all, I believe, most of the places where this word parusa is, is used. And this is never used regarding his first coming, like I said. How we can continue in chapter 3. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. And later you can read Acts 17, I have 14 to 34. Actually, the context begins with verse 13 already. You can read it later. And St. Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort, actually, and to exhort, Parakaleo, you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, Philipsis, mental pressure, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto, we are placed into these afflictions. The word moved is an interesting word, it is a Greek word, sino, it means literally to wag the tail, talking of dogs. Figuratively, to flatter, fawn upon. And when used in passive voice as in here, it means to be agitated, disturbed or troubled. So, therefore, it's translated, be moved, be troubled. That no man should be moved or troubled by these mental pressures that you have. Verse 4, for verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, that's those words are one word, libo, comes from the same root as thlipsis. So you should be 
cause to have mental pressure, even as it came to pass. And ye know, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent Timothy to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor again, hard work, copos, be in vain. But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, that's agape, love, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also <coughs> to see you. And that is in Acts verse 5. Can you read the first five verses in Acts 18? Verse 7. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted, that's Barakaleo, actually we were exalted over you in all our affliction again, mental pressure and distress by your faith. For now we live if he stand fast in the Lord. So are you ready? Acts 18 verses 1 through 5. After these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them, and wrought, for by their occupation they were tentmakers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks, and when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit, and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. So Thessalonica is in Macedonia and they came back to Corinth from there. So you see, they were together in Corinth when Paul wrote these epistles. So the verse 8 said, For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. So actually we live anyway, but if you stand fast we really live. So it's a figure of speech emphasizing how much Paul was comforted hearing or exhorted hearing good news regarding their faith. For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy again, Kara, wherewith you joy, Cairo, for your sakes before our God, night and day praying, that's Deomai, exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Praying, Deomai actually means to beseech or to ask to ask, it can be in a prayer, but the meaning is to ask for a specific need, for a specific purpose. And this is very clear here what the purpose was, that they could go there to help them in their faith. The word perfect is katartitso, which means to mend what has been broken or rent, or to repair, to fit out, equip, put in order, arrange, adjust, according to Theos. So when we think what happened, they were in great affliction, the Thessalonians. They were persecuted heavily. That is the reason that their faith needed mending or strengthening. That's the reason he sent Timotheus there. And now when we consider the context of this letter or these letters that he sent to them also, it's dealing with the hope with the second coming of Jesus Christ. So the hope is a very important thing to strengthen people's believing. Because uh, we are in contention, we are in battle all the time now. 
the devil makes all he can to trouble us. All the life we live in here is like that. But it will end when God sends Jesus Christ to pick us up from here at the gathering together. So he will send Jesus Christ. This will end. And we're going to become like him. We're going to get a body like Jesus Christ has now, a resurrection body. And we will be always after that with him and the Father. So this hope strengthens people's believing. Because you see that it's just a short while that we have to suffer in here in comparison to eternity that we're going to live later. So therefore that was so important that he sent Timothy there just to make sure that they would not give up in these persecutions, that they would continue to believe. Verse 11. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, in the coming, again Parusha, of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So we continue. Chapter 4. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort, again Parakaleo, you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. So Paul taught them how they ought to walk and how they ought to please God. That's the purpose of our life. Verse 2, For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. And fornication is pornia, which stands for all illicit sexual intercourse in general, according to Theos. It's a general word. Everything in that category. Verse 4, That every one of you should know how to possess or control his vessel own body in sanctification and honor. Actually in verse 4, what word do you have in Norwegian? The word vessel. Is that body or is that wife or is that vessel? Spouse. Spouse. Okay, because um, it really does not stand for spouse. It stands for your own body. Because if you continue in the context Verse 5, not in the lust of concupiscence, the passion of lust, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. So it includes more than just sex. In any matter where you have passion, lust. Therefore, it is not about spouse, that's about your own body, that you control your own body. Verse 6, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified, which is even as we said before and testified to you. Verse 7, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth rejects these commandments and instructions, despiseth, rejects not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. 
but as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourself are taught of God to love one another. So how did that happen? They walked in the spirit, they spoke in tongues, they prayed to God and God showed how to love each other. That's what it means. God will do that to us also when we want to learn to love each other. Verse 10. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you brethren that ye increase more and more. That you do it more and more. And that you study to be quiet. The word study actually means respect. It's a word that means respect or honor. That you respect or honor to be quiet, to live in peace. You honor that. Peace. Living in peace. And to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. That ye may walk honestly, that's decently in proper way, toward them that are without, outside of the body of believers, the unbelievers. And that ye may have lack of nothing. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. These words, I would not have you to be ignorant, would be perhaps easy to understand if you said, instead of we should be I, I would not have you to be not knowing. I would not have you to be not knowing. Two times not makes it a figure speech. This is a double negative which a figure speech and it emphasizes that he really wanted them to know this. This expression is used similarly six times in Paul's episodes. I have a list there, but for example, first Corinthians 12, 1 about spiritual things. There is the same. I would not, you be not knowing about the spiritual things. Emphasize that he really wants them to know. So this is something very, very important to know. The corresponding expression without the double negative, which is I want you to know, is used two times in 1 Corinthians and Colossians. Then comes verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and arose, so he was first awoken from the dead, death, and then he rose up, got up, anistemi. Even so them also which sleep, the born-again believers who have died, in Jesus will God bring with him. So these words, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. According to the Greek text, these words should be translated like this. Even so God, through Jesus, will bring those who are asleep with him. Even so God, through Jesus, will bring those who are asleep with him. Verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming parusha of the Lord shall not prevent shall not in any way or in no way precede them which are asleep the dead ones verse 16 for the lord himself will descend from heaven with a commanding shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump that's the word salpings of god and the dead in christ shall or will rise first again that's anistemi 
God will wake them up from the dead and then they will rise. Anistemi, get up. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. That's the word nefele. To meet the Lord in the air and so shall we always be with the Lord. Now in this verse 17 days a little word added there, that's the word hama. That means at the same time. So when you record or list things that happen, they may happen at the same time, but you cannot list them at the same time. You have to list them one first and the other end. Therefore it says first the dead are raised. But that everything happens at the same time. This is what the word hama means. Verse 15, wherefore comfort or exhort each other, Paragalao, one other with these words. So this is the first part of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes in the clouds to gather the church together. And the second part of his second coming is described in Second Thessalonians 1, 6 to 10, we read it tomorrow. The best epistles to read in the New Testament for people who are in affliction or tribulation to have a lot of mental pressure it doesn't really matter what's the reason they used to have a lot of persecution often we don't have really persecution but other ways that the devil bothers us however if you are in any kind of mental pressure then you should read 2nd Corinthians and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians these are the best epistles for that purpose Let's read now 2 Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 11. Elizabeth, can you do that? 2 Corinthians 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us, ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. So in verse 10 it says, Who delivered us from so great a death? He did deliver. And who doth deliver in presence right now? And whom we trust that he will in future deliver us. In past, present and future. God will deliver. 
So that's comfort. Mm. That's exhortation. Then in verse 5 it says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us. It doesn't mean that the sufferings that he suffered, that we should be beaten like him, or that we should be crucified like him. It doesn't mean that. But because at that time they spoke the word, they held forth God's word regarding Christ, and then other people persecuted them. That's what it's talking about. And this will sooner or later happen to us also. If we eagerly enough hold forth God's word, then there will be people who don't like that. Then the other section was in chapter 4. Can you read verses 13 through 18? We have in the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, and worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, or the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So the verse 17, I would like to translate it like this. <coughs> For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, produces for us a super exceedingly, super exceeding eternal weight of glory. So for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, produces for us a super exceedingly, super exceeding eternal weight of glory. And if you think of that, like if you had a uh, scales. horizontal bar supported in the middle and two cups, that's scale. So if you put in the left cup, one ton of affliction goes down like that. Then you put in the right cup this super exceedingly, super exceeding eternal weight of glory. Boom, it goes down. <laughs> You put 100 tons of affliction here in the left cup. And then you put again a super exceedingly, super exceeding eternal weight of glory. Boom, it goes down. That, that's how this verse worketh. It's just a short time. We have some little affliction here. And then we have an incredible eternity. That's what is the meaning. So that comforts you. And it doesn't mean that you only feel good. It means that God will be there with you. He will fulfill his promises. Let's also read two places in Matthew. The first one is in chapter 24. This describes the first part of Jesus Christ's second coming. And the second is in Matthew 25. And that describes the second part of Jesus Christ's second coming. So Elizabeth, can you read chapter 24 in Matthew verses... 1 through 42 first. Chapter 24, 1 through 42. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, 
see you not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumours of wars, see that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world, for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not seen since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not, and there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So, he says that if somebody says, Christ is here, they under, Look, when I come, everybody will see it. Verse 27, For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even on the west, you cannot miss it when he comes. 28. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So they can see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven, exactly the same as if we read in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. The word clouds is nephilim here also. I don't think that he comes many times in clouds. I think he comes once. Because it says in Acts, 
as you see him go in clouds, the same way he will come. That's what he's talking about, the same identical thing in here. 31, can you continue? And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. That is the gathering together. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When the branch is yet tender and put it forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were so, shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. And so far. Then uh, chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him. Okay. The second part of his coming, he comes with all the holy angels. That angels is a messenger. It includes all the believers and all the angels. All his forces are with him when he comes the second time. And then he's going to do the judgment. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Um, before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divided his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So, that actually we handled yesterday it should be from the beginning of the mankind. Apo katapoles kosmo. 35. For I was unhungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? Or when saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison, and came unto thee, and the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was unhungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in, naked, and he clothed me not, sick and in prison, and he visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee 
and hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And they shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. And we continue. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52. Behold, I show you, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, that means die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet, again the word salpings, shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. What's the last trump? Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> well, probably not, but in Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, it says, and when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And the first is the first and the last is the last. I can't find any other trumpets that would really fit. Must be like this. Elizabeth, can you read this Revelation 10 verses 5 to 7 in the notes? Hmm. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth for ever and ever who created heaven and the things that therein are and the earth and the things that therein are and the sea and the things which are therein that there should be time no longer but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants and prophets. The sound is uh, salpizzo, comes from the same root, salpings, but this is a verb which means to blow the trumpet. So the wrath of God begins when the seventh angel has blown the trumpet, and the corresponding events have taken place. So the wrath of God is a long period of time, the gathering together happens in one day, in one split second. Then the wrath of God, or the day of the Lord, Jehovah, like we will learn tomorrow, is a long period of time. Can you read now uh, Revelation 11, 15 through 18? And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign for ever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldst give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldst destroy them which destroy the earth. So in verse 18 the word wrath is orge, the wrath of God, and then all those things, they immediately start happening after the gathering together. 
and again in verse 15 the word sounded is salpicio, the verb form to blow the trumpet. And then 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10 For they themselves show or reported of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath. Again, orge, from the wrath to come. Chapter 5. Part of the times, that's Kronos, and the seasons, that's Kairos. Brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly, or you know exactly or accurately, that the day of the Lord, the day of God's wrath, the day of Jehovah, so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as a travail, labor pains, upon a woman with child, upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But ye brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Why not? Because at the gathering together they have been taken out already. Verse 5, ye are all the children of the sons of light, and the children of the sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor darkness. Therefore let us not sleep spiritually, as do others, but let us watch spiritually, and be sober. Sober is the word nephot, to means to be sober. And it is used here figuratively, and it means to be spiritually sober. Verse 7, For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath again or gay, but to obtain salvation, soteria, comes from the same root as sozo, by our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are going to be saved not suffer the wrath. Who died for us? That whether we wake, are watching, or sleep, are sleeping, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort, or exhort, <coughs> Paracolo, yourselves together, or exhort each other, and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know, acknowledge them which, are, which labor, work hard, that's Kopos again, among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, the ones are, who are discouraged, support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that none render or repays evil for evil unto any man, but ever, always, follow the God, that is the same as persecute. Seek that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not, or do not extinguish the Spirit. Do not despise prophesying. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. And may the very God of peace sanctify you wholly.
and then the words I pray God are not in the text and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming parusha of our Lord Jesus Christ so I said that these words I pray God are not in the Greek text it should read may therefore this verse should read like this may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blamelessly in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ I read again may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blamelessly in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it he will do all these things brethren pray for us Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. This word kiss is translated from philema. That comes from the word phileo. Philema has actually nothing to do with mouth or kissing. You could as well translate it with embrace. Philema is just a sign of the love that they had. Whatever sign it was, we don't really know. So there is no reason really to translate it by the word kiss. Greet all the brethren with some kind of a gesture or thing that conveys the message that you love them. Perhaps embrace, whatever. I charge you, I force you to take an oath, adjure you, solemnly implore you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy. That's omitted in other text. Unto all the brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, and the word Amen is not in the text. So, he charged, he wanted them to make sure that they would read this epistle to everybody. So, if it was necessary at that time for the believers to read these epistles, why is it not anymore today? The same. I mean, the best thing you can do, you read these epistles in your fellowships. And... Uh, you study these words and you understand and then you can encourage and exhort each other to believe more. Like when we think about God sending Jesus Christ to gather us all together and then we know all the evil is ended in our life as such. We don't suffer anymore. So until that time all the principles of Paul's epistles will work. If in the Old Testament time when they sojourned in the wilderness 40 years they didn't work for one day for the food that they ate God gave it every day to them he took care of them 40 years and they didn't even have the spirit of God like we have now so now if believers today want to believe God will he not take care of them until Christ comes back he absolutely will and this is the way we should exhort each other that's the reason it's important to gather together in fellowships like-minded believers so that they can encourage each other and exhort each other to believe god so often it happens that believers start getting tired to pray and then they get bitter because they think god is not answering my prayer that's not true he will answer but you just continue to pray and you exhort each other and when tough times comes, then the more you just go to the Father and really explain to him that I want your help. 
I want it now, right now, I need it right now, not in 15 years of now, but now I need the help. And then he'll help you. We can finish for today.